Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work for social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Uh, Damien is up this week. So what are you bringing to the table today? I am up. All right. Uh, so, Aaron, today I brought a journal article to the table for us mm-hmm. uh, called Ending the School to Prison Pipeline slash Building Abolition Futures, uh, which was written by Erica R. Miners, who is uh, an accomplished author and organizer Uh, and professor. Um, And we know her as uh, the co-author of the amazing book that we read just a few weeks ago, Abolition Feminism Now. Um, And uh, yeah, love that book. So good. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. Um, so I definitely think that was part of the reason why it was really exciting to to pick this journal article up and read it. Um, in addition to what she's done uh, as a writer and, and alongside that, she's a professor and of education uh, and women's gender and sexuality studies at Northeastern Illinois University. Um, but this piece uh, is about ending the school to prison pipeline and embracing abolition, right? And it was published uh, in this journal called Urban Review, Issues and Ideas in Public Education way back in 2011. Um, So it's been out for some time, uh, but I think I I really enjoyed it. I feel like I learned a lot from it. Um, At the core of it, Erica centered the this piece around um, a, a central question, if you will. She said, uh, where is the movement to interrupt the school to prison nexus? Mm-hmm. And so throughout the article, um, she addressed and analyzed and, and really advocated for the need to put prison abolition at the forefront of our work and our conversations as it relates to um, educational justice sort of as a whole um, and the need for our society, I think, to do whatever is necessary to uh, eliminate the school to prison pipeline, right, and stop um, the flow of young people moving towards prisons and and, and jails. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a an overall sort of view of, of what she, she talked about. And I'm really excited to, to chat with you about this. So, uh, yeah. Where do you want to start? What stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, I really appreciated this article too. I think it points out some, um, you know, there's a, there's the groundwork for sort of describing what this, as she calls it school to prison nexus. Nexus. Yeah. Um, so she, she lays some foundation for that argument, um, and points out some really troubling patterns that we see happening in States, um, in their spending, uh, and then also in the ways that people advocate for change. And I thought that was a really interesting section of the article too, um, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit, but, um, you know, she asked some profound questions about what's considered exceptional. Uh, how do we navigate the state appropriating the work of organizers? Yeah. Um, and then how do we shift our perception of public safety? Uh, and finally, her last question in terms of this kind of work is how do we infuse intersexuality, intersectionality uh, into the work toward justice? Right. Um, you know, one of the first things that stuck out to me was the, like sort of this argument around um like well it's not argument but like demonstration of what this nexus is and, and, and how it's been developing okay um, and it was the statistic that between 1984 and 2000 across all states and DC 
state spending on prisons was six times more than spending on higher education, which really shows what our government is investing in, right? We're investing in prisons at a rate six times higher, six times more than higher education. And so it demonstrates how much control we've we've seen that our governments are seeking. um, And that's in response to all of these. um, I don't I I think it shows a lot of around where we are right yes. now, right? Like if we're investing this much money in prisons um and this much money in uh higher education and we're seeing all of the debt that students have in higher like there's yeah. all of these things are are correlational. Um I don't know if that's a word, but yeah, all of it correlates. It. All of it correlates. Um that's a better way to phrase that. Yeah. So, um yeah, there's a lot in this, and I and I appreciated uh, her her doing the work of showing, um, like some of some of the examples of how this is all happening. Yeah, I did too, and I I'm glad you brought that stat up. I mean, I think what you're getting at here, and sort of what I felt uh, when I saw that too, six times more mm-hmm. than higher education is, you know, it really shows what our values are. Right. Yeah. You know, you put your money where your mouth is, sort of that um, silly saying. But mm-hmm. um, well, right? budgets and moral but documents too. That too. That is yeah. true. Right. And so it is absolutely a demonstration of our values when you mm-hmm. think about and look at the bottom line numbers of yeah. what is spent on prisons, right, in our criminal punishment system versus what is spent on higher education, right. And so as we talk about this idea of, you know, and we sort of talk about the what do you call that like the you know our idealized values of how we sort of talk about education and how we value our children and um, and their future but you look at that it's it's and across all states as you as she said yeah. right and and, DC, and the district yeah. and the district right it's, it's hard to sort of really fathom that I think I also really appreciate how you talk about these profound questions that she asks mm-hmm. throughout this um this journal article because I think that's so true. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I appreciated so much of this and all the work that she did in it to, to highlight, as you, as you mentioned, like what's been researched and, and studied and tracked, right. As it relates to the notion of, uh, the school to prison pipeline. Right. Um, for me, I sort of took a look at it from this like 10,000 foot view. And I think the fact is that there's so much data out there about what this country has done, um, to, target marginalized communities and the children in them yep. right and then push and then that, that push into the criminal punishment system right and so you know she highlighted in this journal article some of the key components of that school to prison pipeline which you know I wanted to make sure that we talked about right yeah. so um, things like special education and um, school discipline and what that looks like right and who is targeted um, uh, for school discipline right and and criminalizing students is another um, resource disparities right so this idea of like which schools are being resourced, which schools are under-resourced, which districts are re, uh, resourced and not. Um, and then unequal opportunities in uh, quote-unquote alternative schools, right? Yeah. Um, and so in addition to sort of those uh, components, right, she even took it a step further, I think, and talked about some of the intersections that exist in those components, right? right? Yep. And so one of the ones that she mentioned was um, – Uh, Students with quote unquote soft disabilities are often targeted for discipline in schools, right? Mm -hmm. Which then, if you think about what the school to prison pipeline is, right, it just initiates them into the cycle, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so I think what I appreciated most about this is, and 
you know, because we, we, we both work in education. We both, you know, particularly as we think about our time in graduate school way back when, but also even since, like, we've read articles like this in journals, right? And sometimes they can get really scholarly, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and real heavy. Um, but I think this is a really good piece, and particularly that section where she's talking about some of these these um, components um, for folks to check out if they really want sort of like a primer on what that data shows and how tremendous the conditions are as we talk about like the magnitude um, and the ills of the of the school to, to prison pipeline. And there, I think there, it's chocked full of so many uh, other articles and books and, and data out there to continue mm-hmm. to learn about this more. Yeah, the whole piece about um, the, t- the statistics, the data that, that links together um, the things like special special education, which on its face doesn't sound like it's connected to the school prison. And then right. there's data that links that uh, students who are there are more likely to be uh, in the criminal punishment system later on in life. Yep. Uh, and then the same thing goes with school discipline uh, and the ways that then students are also criminalized. Yes. Um, so all of that, breaking all of that down, I really uh, appreciate it as part of the, the sort of argument setting up setting the stage really for what this looks like yes uh and and how it's all sort of working yes um you know and one of the things that i want to talk about here too is that it's not arbitrary who gets locked up in the criminal punishment system exactly right like she mentions that the uh over two million people who are locked up this is from 2011 so that statistic might be a little bit different yeah but Good point. Those people uh, who are locked up are poor, mentally ill, undereducated or uneducated, gender nonconforming, non-citizens and or non-white. Mm. So they those folks who are incarcerated fit into one of those identities. Yeah. Um, maybe or multiple. More. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's who the criminal punishment system is capturing. Yes. Um, and, and to what ends. Right. We've talked about how much this system is designed to punish and control and humiliate. And I think this is another point to that mm-hmm. um, that points out the sort of ways that that history in our country of um, who is preferred, um, right, uh. being wealthy, being white, being cisgender or male, um, being heterosexual, um, being abled, like all of those things can persist yes. as preferences for this system because of the, the list of, of identities I just list read out. Yeah. Um, and that's who's represented in the, in, inside prisons. Um, so it's clear that it's not arbitrary because it's connected to those patterns of history. Right. Um, and there are people who are considered disposable right. and they have been considered disposable. Absolutely. Um, or sort of the, the least important folks, um, across the history of this country. And it, so it just persists and it's a pattern um, that I, you know, stuck out to me as something that was important for that she she wrote about and included in here. Absolutely. Right. And I, and I think the other thing that gets me about this is, you know, I love your point and we've talked about it here about sort of what our society always tends to sort of um, idolize. Right. And take yes. care of. Yep. Right. Um, and this this statistic, again, back in 2011, that's two million people being locked up. Right. But. Um, there's also a clear connection to, you know, that's what's happening in our society and what's in our prisons, right? But the connection to 
the schools, right? Mm-hmm. And then this, the schools are the funnel, um, right? And and the pipeline um, for for students to get to prison, right? And yeah. it's that same; those same categories are idolized in our schools. And these other ones, right? Gender non-conforming students, non-citizens, non-white, mentally ill, right? Those students are the ones that end up in this pipeline, right? Like that's right. her, because they that's don't. Her point. Yeah, I and I, I'm. Coming up with all this right here live, um, but the pipeline is is right. It's also sorting you, yes, right. Like and so, as you go through this system, this educational system, uh, if you stick out in some way as quote unquote abnormal, yeah, that's not my label, but I yep. think that's what this like how the system kind of right Absolutely. manages people. Um, so you're abnormal, so it's going to start to push you toward the yes. the prison pipeline versus not being labeled abnormal is just going to push you towards you know whatever's on the other side of of a of a diploma absolutely uh, and so I, I that that kind of visual came to me uh, as you were talking about that too is like it's not it's it's sorting people out and pushing them that way yep. um toward the 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 criminal punishment system and then other folks who fit in and don't yeah. don't don't rock the boat don't yep. do anything like they go uh, in another direction. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. it's exactly that piece of disposability mm-hmm. um, for me. And you talk about it, you've talked about it often here and it gets me every time. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really what um, compels me to align with her thinking um, in this piece and all the work that she has done in this piece and in other places um, to, to call for abolition. Right. I think we have to, one of the things I also think we have to do is we have to consider the ways in which education is just, so important in our children's lives yeah right um and so for me and i'm not just saying that as an educator i'm saying that as someone who right like i you know i went through schooling myself right i i I see the benefit of it um right we have to consider the ways in which um it's so important in the development of our children right the development of us as as human beings and the ways in which we interact with um one another um and and our trajectory in life right and so i think you know, given its significance and its importance, I think that's the, the biggest reason why we have to break this pipeline, right? Yeah. And so um, one of the things that Erica highlighted in this article out there that points to the fact that incarceration and education are are linked, right? And so the, the idea that she brought up was um, decreases in education correlate with higher rates of incarceration, uh, most significantly for black men, right? And that just one more year of high school would significantly reduce incarceration rates, uh, raise the male high school graduation rate, um, and just do wonders for the economy overall, right? And so I wanted to bring that up because I think it connects really nicely to what you said about this disposability piece and like who who matters in this system, right? Um, And and who gets pushed, right? And sorted is the word you use, which I think is is great, Um, right? And I I just can't help but think about like, uh, or think about this question of like, what if we invested in our children as opposed to punishing them and, and pushing them towards this criminal punishment system, or as you said, sorting them into these categories and pushing them there, like, yeah. What what if? Yeah, I think um, you know I thought about the the sorting idea. I think another way to to um, think about it is uh, tracking, which uh, is also something that exists in the system, right? And that that's another way that that kind of happens um, is is through tracking, which happens in not everywhere, but in some places. Um, 
Well, all students to push people to some like, have a, a file, kind of outcome. right? All students yeah. in a in a, in a school system have files, right? Yeah. But it's a matter of sort of what is included yeah. in that file and what's well, I, done. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about data I, tracking. I'm talking that, about absolutely. sticking students in like a you're in the remedial track and you can't get out of it. Yes. Um, unless you hit X Y Z, which you can't do because we're not teaching you X Y Z in the remedial ah, classes. There it is. Um, so, you know, and I think that those those produce certain outcomes too like yes. that kind of tracking um as well as files right like yeah. the it's all kind of interconnected yeah um but the you know i think um you to a certain extent you get out what you put in yeah so if a student gets tracked into um something where we're not expecting anything from them um i i, I think that that leads to that leads to certain that leads to outcomes that leads certain to certain outcomes yeah. for them right absolutely um and stunts their ability to grow and challenge and push uh against things in some ways I yeah, think. Absolutely. so uh i think that's all part of this too that that's coming up for me as we talk about this yeah um yeah so one of the things that i mentioned earlier too was the um the ways that community programs become state sponsored um or state kind of organized yeah uh and how, you know, she talks about how they potentially lose something and we don't necessarily know what that something is. Yeah. We don't study like what is what is lost from that. So her example was Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. um, which does get mandated by court sometimes as a, as a treatment plan, um, which is, you know, at its core, this kind of very community based, radical um, democratic uh, healing practice. Yes. Um, and so if that's adopted by, co-opted by mm. courts or the state, uh, like what's what do we lose, yes. right? Are some of that, is it still the transformational practice that it was before? Right. Um, you know, mm. her point is that we don't know. Yeah. Uh, and we should start to learn what is one quote we should start to learn quote what is won and what is lost with these kinds of moves because we don't know right like i think um particularly you talk about aa are you like being mandated to do that through a court system it, it might stick for some people right but for lots of folks you have to um you have to want to get better absolutely so a, a, you know a judge telling you that you have to do this to stay out of jail there might be some motivating factors in that but it's not necessarily going to be the same kind of transformational practice at its root, um, which I think is why she brings it up. And so, absolutely, uh, yeah, that's that's something that, especially as we talk about restorative practices and things that get co-opted by schools and, um, right, like what what are, what's lost by those practices that are developed in community and, and by organizers and local right. folks. Yeah, um, we don't know. There's power in. Um, the idea of seeking out something like AA for yourself, right? And mm-hmm. so, and we talked about this before, right? I think it sort of, you know, when it's mandated, it, it sort of um, invites you into that cycle of harm, right? And sort of, um, you know, those that, that sort of mandated um, uh, reporting to something like AA or some kind of treatment program, right? Like just if you're not invested in it, and it's something you have to do and it's a way to potentially trip you up, right? If you are caught not doing whatever it is you're supposed to do, right? Like yeah. here you are again in mm-hmm. that cycle and in the sort of um, the jaws of this criminal punishment system, right? And so yeah. I, I love that you brought that up. I, I appreciate her bringing that up in this piece and 
yeah, it would be interesting to uh, like, I mean, this was back in 2011, right? So I'm wondering if some work has been done to study that, right? And I don't necessarily know that's <laughs> research is not <laughs> my jam, yeah. uh, right? But how you sort of do that in a, in a case like this with AA, right? Like how do you seek out participants in a mm-hmm. situation uh, where folks are anonymous? Um, I, I appreciate that. I, um, I, I, I loved so much of this, right? And so much of it has to do with the fact that it's about abolition, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, folks know where we stand <laughs> about that, right? Um, I think she really, um, at the core of this and towards the end, asks the question, why abolition? Um, and so there was this piece that I sort of f- furiously highlighted um, from the article um, that I wanted to read here. And, and part of this part of this is um, the piece that leads up to that statistic that you mentioned about um, school spending, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is what is mentioned up to that point. She says, uh, prison industrial complex refers to the creation of prisons and detention centers as a perceived growth economy in an era of de-industrialization and as a set of symbiotic relationships among correctional communities, transnational corporations, media conglomerates, guards unions, and legislative and court agendas. These economic and social changes shape prison expansion and subsequently naturalize prisons as inevitable. I also use the term carceral state to highlight the multiple and intersecting state agencies and institutions that have punishing functions and effectively regulate poor communities. Things like child and family services, welfare or workfare agencies, public education, immigration, health and human services, and more. While the term prison industrial complex uh, typically refers to connections between jails, the economy, and the political sphere, research demonstrates that education must also be included in this definition. Mm -hmm. With the increased use of surveillance and incarceration tools, for example, metal detectors, surveillance cameras, school uniforms, armed security guards, and on-site police detachments, urban schools look and feel a lot like detention centers. In addition, the growth of an incarceration nation clearly impacts education, funneling the limited pool of tax dollars from social service programs to the carceral state. Um, You know, and then she gets into that piece about our actual spending, right? And so there's so much in that. There was so much in that that I had to sort of like (laughs) parse out and think about, right? Um, And again, speaks to this question of why abolition is, I think, the way uh, is what I think we need to be embracing. And I know she does too, right? Like I can't help but think that there is better out there for our children and our society than spending that kind of money on prisons over education. Right. Um, And, you know, this piece about transforming our schools into detention centers. Right. Like there's I think there's just better. There's healthier. There there is a way that we can have conditions that support all of our children um, Mm -hmm. across the board in all of our school settings. Right. To to help them thrive. But um, that will require us to embrace abolition and particularly make sure that our schools aren't. um, (laughs) What did you call them? You know, Um, detention centers. centers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think about that because I think that that sort of detention center feel to these schools has developed in our lifetime um, yeah. as a response to school shootings. Yes. And so it's about, uh, on its face, it's about safety. Yes. Um, but on it's, it's treating, like when you think about safety in this way... It's like this is actually 
and I think I've used this metaphor before on our on our podcast, but it's a band-aid. Like yes. they're putting metal detectors um in a school, they're they're putting armed security in schools um to try to stop violence in right. schools. But that's not getting to like the what's what's creating the conditions for the violence to exist. There it is. Uh and so these things are are not um they're not responses to the conditions. They're um they're attempted band-aids. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, I, so um I think that's an important point is that you know, if our schools feel like detention centers, how are they not detention centers? There. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh and so sort of shifting to um, a different point that's included included in the article, but also related some, yeah. uh, and this might be more about me than the article, but okay. um, toward the, the beginning uh, as she's sort of setting up the, the, the premise of the article, okay. um, she's reflecting on her own time in higher education and her conflicting feelings mm. um, and says, quote, I'm angry at the waste in post-secondary institutions or the seemingly, seemingly careless ways in which we dispense our many resources, time, labor, legitimacy, skills, and at the glacial pace of change, except when the state apparatus morphs to appropriate our labors and to move the goalposts. But always I am astonished at the ability of people, in particular those most vulnerable, to work, to learn, to have love for themselves and each other, and to build change." Mm. Um, and I feel that too, yes, like so same. much of that kind of, um, rage or anger at, at like this waste, um, because so much of the resources I see us use our energy on feel like we're shouting into a void, mm. um, or we're creating like sort of reforms that yes. don't get at the root of the problem. Like metal detectors outside of a school. Um, But it's also true that the people create amazing things and can do amazing things and create change. Um, And so I appreciated this tension that she shared um, because I feel it too. And I also felt her push, um, you know, toward the end of the article is sort of a, a a bookend uh, to that point at the beginning is that it's a, it's a push for us to, um, for folks in academia to really think about how am I using my labor yes. and time and skills um, to push for real change, to push for real um, abolitionist reforms. Yeah, and I think it's a question around like what does that look like and how do we get there? Mm-hmm. That's uh, connected to what you just said for me, right? Like yeah. how, I think our people in all of our institutions are our greatest resource, right? And mm-hmm. so, uh, and the and the people are going to help us solve these problems and right. get to the places we need to be right and so when we think about all those resources that you named and the ways in which as you say we're shouting into the void and <coughs> performing right mm-hmm. uh right what are the ways in which we can get out of the way or our institutions can get out of the way and really tackle the problems as they are right and find the solutions that really um, will help create better conditions to, um, in this case, as we think about ending the school to prison pipeline, I think, um, help us create healthy and thriving schools and yeah. communities. 
Um, that's what's important to me um, and what I take from that. I love that. Um, all right. Well, if it's all right with you, let's shift our conversation over to application. I guess so. All right. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the permission <laughs> to do that. Um, I think like with so much of what we talk about here on the podcast, like so many of our conversations, um, here at this table, um, so much of our conversation today and what um, Erica wrote in this article, uh, so much of it is the application, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's directly, yeah. it is about um, this problem that exists and this cycle that exists, right? This nexus that she names, um, right? And I think um, I'm really compelled by all of our conversations and, and what we talked about today and um, to believe in and want us to uh, embrace abolition fully. Um, I think it's the only way to get us all safe and to, to reach collective liberation, right? And so um, I can't help but, I, I also can't help but believe that when I sit with Erica's words that I shared earlier about the damaging impact of the prison industrial complex, right? And, and what we continue to call uh, the criminal punishment system, right? Um, the fact that just so many of our schools in this country have turned, and our school systems, um, you know, have turned into an extension of that um, prison mm-hmm. industrial complex, right? Um, and I think that has only been at the expense of and a, and a detriment to our children um, and especially um, our most vulnerable, right, um, of communities. And so, I think that's one piece of application for me and why abolition is important. Um, the other thing that I've been thinking about um, and the other piece of this uh, is the connection to all the real life evidence that we have now that shows us that having our schools be extensions of the criminal punishment system um, in terms of being full of police and these metal detectors and surveillance, right, is not doing a damn thing to keep our kids safe. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, we have to look no further than what just took place um, at that elementary school in Texas. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I I simply need no more evidence to tell me uh, that this is not working um, right into fight for just full stop abolition. Right. Um, I I, I, I don't I cannot see another situation um, like what we just saw in Texas again. I cannot. Right. And so I think we have to all do some work here to, to figure out what does that look like um, to fight for it, right? Like, what does it mean? What resources do you have to donate? What resources in terms of time do you have to contact your elected officials to fight for um, uh, different laws, different protections, um, and really sort of think about um, what does what what does what could abolition look like and how could it help your, your communities, right? Um, so... Um, I think that's what I've been thinking about for for application. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, um, I think so. I, I alluded to this uh, in my last sort of point, what, but I, I think that the one of the most appealing things for me uh, is at the end when she's pushing for her fellow academics um, to prioritize how they use their own labor. Yeah, um, how do you navigate working for an institution that is ultimately part of the state and buys into this carceral attitude and and uh, is associated with the criminal punishment system and invests in the prison industrial complex mm-hmm. um, in a variety of ways. Yep. Uh, so she makes this connection to um, going through an internal review board uh, when you're trying to do some research with human subjects and, and other things. Um, and it's there to try to mitigate the potential harm someone might do within a research project. Yep. Um, there are some very famous psychological research projects that pushed for institutions to implement uh, IRBs, internal review boards. Um, 
But uh, aside from that, uh, you know, what does the process look like for us to consider a project within the lens of whether it increases liberation ah. or doesn't? Yes. Um, are we working toward reformist reforms uh, or is this somehow pushing toward broader social change that shifts power to the people? Yeah. Um, Ooh, good questions here. This kind of, I think, critical look at our day to day work or about um, you know projects that people are trying to um, create or pursue in institutions. Um, I think educational institutions specifically, right, is something I think is important. And it's something that broadly, I feel like she's calling for us to do more of. And I think it, I agree. I think it's something we need to do more of. Absolutely. I love that. Well, and I think what it makes me think about is not just, and I don't think this is what you were saying, but mm -hmm. all right, she's talking about it through the lenses of IRB, but I think it, 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 it more broadly applies to all of the work all of us are doing in our educational systems, right? Um, yeah. And our educational institutions, I should say, right? And so um, those questions that you asked, I think are really, really good. Um, and I know they are based on questions that she's asking, right? And, and things that she's pushing us to, to think about. Um, yeah, I love that. Very good. All right. Um, all right, let's talk about homework. What are we going to do when we leave this table? Um, I uh, We've now read, uh, officially read two things by uh, Erica Miners, and so I, I think let's keep going. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't forget where I saw this. I don't know if it was when I was doing some research uh, about Erica, but there were two of her books that were mentioned on this website that I was looking at um, that seemed really intriguing to me. So um, the first book is from 2016 and it's called For the Children, Protecting Innocence in a Carceral State. And in it, she argues that true childhood or like the concept of childhood, if you will, um, is something that hasn't been promised or been available to all of our children um, because of the reach of the prison industrial complex, right? Yeah. Um, and what it does to children, even when it quote unquote is trying to protect them. Right. So I think that sounds really interesting. Um, the other book is um, a little more recent from 2020. It's called The Feminist and the Sex Offender, Confronting Sexual Harm, Ending State Violence. Mm -hmm. um, and in that book, she pushes the need for a feminist lens of accountability without punishment uh, when it comes to sexual and gender violence, um, especially, you know, what we know of how the criminal punishment system responds to it, you know. So, um I, I think I want to add those two books to our reading list um, as our, our collective homework, if that's mm. okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about you? Sure. I, I mean, I think uh, to go along with that, Oh yeah. Um, yeah, my homework is to read Right to be Hostile, Schools, ah. Prisons, and the Making of Public Enemies, Yeah. Um, which I think is uh, an earlier book of hers. Yeah. Um, it's referenced in this article. Um, okay. At yes. At some point. Yes. Like in her bio or something okay um so yeah i'll go ahead and add that to the super long reading list that i already <laughs> have um, but this is a quote from the publisher's description of it um it offers concrete examples and new insights into the school to prison pipeline phenomenon showing how disciplinary regulations pedagogy pop culture and more not only implicitly advance but actually normalize an expectation of incarceration for urban youth oh so wow. um yeah, I was like, well, this sounds right uh, up my alley in terms of analyzing a system and, and breaking it down and showing all all the um, the f the filthy things uh, inside it. 
Yes. Um, I think I sort of talked as you were naming the book. Can you tell this, share the name of the book again? Right to be Hostile, Schools, Prisons, and the Making of Public Enemies. Love it. All right. Add it to the list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. So we're leaving here with three books to read, huh? Yeah. And look at us. We'll get we'll get to them eventually. Stop. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm not um, reading this tomorrow. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely not. Uh, maybe the next day. Mm -hmm. um, it's already late today. <laughs> um, all right. With that, my friend, you're up next time. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am bringing a documentary called Frederick Douglass in Five Speeches, oh, okay. uh, which is on HBO. Uh, so it brings to life the words of Frederick Douglass uh, and his work fighting against racial injustice in his time. Uh, and it features a variety of folks reading his speeches uh, and then also some context and history of, of who he was and what it meant for him to be who he was. Yes, especially in the time in which he lived. And yeah. um, I saw the trailer for it, and I think uh, vis it visually, look, visually looks so stunning. Yes. Um, yeah. How they sort of... Um, stylized it and 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 what they did in it so i'm i'm super excited just to <laughs> watch it um if you will but um it sounds really good so i'm looking forward yeah. to it very good all right so with that folks we want to thank you so much for joining us today and for listening to interdependent study um you know what i'm going to ask you to do here but in case you forgot please follow us on all of the uh, podcast platforms leave a rating and review share this wonderful and amazing podcast with all the people in your life follow us on social media check us out on youtube and sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes yes thank you so much for listening and remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>